You are listening to the Mile Straight Podcast. For more information on Mile Straight or to watch a video version of this podcast, visit www.milestraightbc.org. The speaker for today is our senior pastor, Tom Goss. Well, thank you so much for being at Mile Straight today. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, This morning, we continue our new series called The History of Jesus. If you haven't already, I wish you'd take your study guide out of your bulletin, have that handy, grab a clipboard and a pen from the book rack as we jump in here. Last week we saw in part one, we saw the, that uh, Jesus existed prior to his birth, prior to coming to the earth. And if you're talking about anybody else in history, that's an absurd statement because people don't just exist for eternity prior to living and yet... That's exactly what we find with the Lord Jesus. He was God, and therefore, as God, did incredible things in the beginning, working his way to the time in which he would come as man to the earth. Now, even though he came as man to the earth, remember that he was still fully God, completely God, acting as God, being God, doing the things God does, and yet in the shell of a man. It's kind of hard for us to understand. It's hard for us to to wrap our, our brains around that. And yet the truth of the matter is that Jesus has always been God. When he was on the cross of Calvary, when they laid his corpse in the grave, when he raised to life again, when Jesus ascended back into heaven where he is now at the right hand of the Father, Jesus Christ is still God. That doesn't change. This week, John, the Apostle John, introduces us to another character. And while this series is about the history of Jesus, it seems that our focus ought to be fully on the person of Jesus. John takes us a little bit of a detour in order to accomplish that. John, the Apostle, and I keep stating it that way because he's going to introduce us to another John, the one that we refer to as John the Baptist. And so don't get these confused. They're distinct people. John the Apostle is the one who walked with Jesus as a disciple of Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is the one who came before Jesus to prepare the way for him, according to Old Testament prophecy. And so we're going to see John the Baptist pointing people to Jesus Christ. What it comes down to is a decision. When we get everything said and done, when we work our way through this this particular aspect or this particular part of our scriptures in John chapter 1, we're going to find that it comes down to a decision. For John, John the Baptist, he had to make a decision. And the question that brought about the decision is, what will you do with Jesus? What will you do with Jesus? John would make that decision on several different occasions. Whether or not it was a verbal decision, it was something that he audibly stated and thought about, or whether it was just something that through his very actions he lived it out and said, therefore, you can look at my life and determine the answer to that question. Regardless, John had to make the decision. John, in turn, would take that information that brought about his decision and pass that on. He would pass that on to the many who would come to listen to him. He would eventually, through the Word of God, through the book of John, John chapter 1, would pass that information on to us and therefore require us to make a decision. Now, you may say, you know what? I'm not going to listen. 
I'm going to leave out of here, and I'm not making a decision. You can't force a decision on me. You're right. While I can't force that decision on you, I want you to understand that if that's your approach to this, you've already made your decision. What will you do with Jesus? For some, they've rejected Jesus. For others, they've embraced Jesus. We're going to watch this unfold, and we're going to see it come to a huge conclusion that is both sad and exciting. If you've got your study guide, take a look. We're going to read verses 6 through 13. We're going to focus on verses 6 through 8 in point number 1. So pay very careful attention to those. But let's read all the verses in order to get the full context of this passage. John the Apostle writes, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own. His own did not receive him. But as many as received him... To them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Over the years, it has been my great pleasure to get to know a lot of missionaries. And through the, the course of getting to know them, one of the benefits was understanding their heart and seeing some of the tough things that they went through, the decisions that they made accordingly. For example, this past Wednesday evening, kind of on a spur-of-the-moment thing, we got the privilege of hearing uh, one of our missionaries speak, Dan Arsing. And he's been here for a couple of months now back in the States, he and his family are missionaries in Venezuela. And he was talking about Venezuela, and he was talking about the difficulties that they face and the problems and uh, the fact that there are no comforts there. It's just a really tough life. It's a really tough existence. And he talked about the dangers that are associated with people that are starving, how they'll do anything to get food. And and how the dangers have escalated greatly as the shortages have escalated as well. And in the course of that conversation, he said, you know, when we were talking about coming back on furlough, and that's where they'll come back for a few months or even sometimes a year in order to, to raise additional needed support or just to rest. In their case, they needed to do both. And he was talking about how as he was preparing to come back that people were contacting him and saying, listen, I know you're leaving Venezuela for a few months. Would you consider, instead of going back to Venezuela, coming to where we are and helping us? Would you consider not going back to Venezuela and coming here? And he was asked, apparently on several different occasions, it seemed like there was probably four or five different people contacted him just based on what he was saying. I may be reading into that a little bit, but it seemed to me that was the case. And what he said was, and it really amazed me, it excited me. He said, you know what? We knew that God called us to Venezuela. And we knew that God has us there for a particular reason for this particular time. And what we know is that God has not removed that call on our lives. 
And what he was saying is, you know what? I've made a decision to follow Jesus. Yeah, I understand that it puts comfort out the window. I've made a decision to follow Jesus. And I understand that, that there are difficulties and problems and frustrations that we have to face as a result. I've made a decision to follow Jesus. And I understand that it puts my family in danger. But you know what? We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to follow Jesus. John the Baptist, as you see in verse 6, is a man that, number one, let me just slide into this a little bit, is called the messenger. Your first fill-in on your study guide is the messenger. And I want you to see how John the Baptist relates very clearly to this same setup that we find in the lives of our missionaries. How this man was a messenger for Jesus Christ. Look, if you will, again at verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Mickey Rector and Jason Sneed recommended a commentary to me on the book of John. And as I was reading through that, they pointed out a couple of things that they thought were just really neat about this particular passage and this particular study. And one of the things that, that hit me that they said, and I've thought several times it's a little bit comical, is the fact in verses 1 through 5, John the Apostle introduces Jesus Christ. And man, he does it in grand fashion. This is, this is a very in-depth thoughts, uh, a very in-depth thoughts about Jesus Christ. He says he is the eternal God. He is the one who created everything. Verse 3 says nothing that was created was created without him. Jesus created it all. It goes on to say that he was life, that he extended physical life to mankind through creation and then provided eternal life, spiritual life, through his sacrifice on the cross of Calvary. It said that he is the light of the world, which illuminates a pathway to eternal life, to God the Father. All of these things, talking about Jesus Christ, and certainly it doesn't even scratch the surface of what Jesus Christ really was and what Jesus Christ really is. But it was a very fine introduction to Jesus. Then we come to John the Baptist and we find John the Apostle introducing John the Baptist and you would expect the same grand fashion of introduction presented for John the Baptist as we find of Jesus. And here's what he says about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. That's it. I can imagine John the Baptist, if he was still in a human form, at this point he's already in heaven, he's been executed for his faith, he's already in heaven, but if he was still in a human form, he might have read that and said, wait a minute, do you remember what Jesus said about me? Of man born of woman, there are none greater than John the Baptist. Do you remember him saying that? And you give me this little one-liner this little introduction that is so pathetic and, and so weak. Do you not know who I am? And certainly you could make a really good human case for who John the Baptist was. I mean, this was an amazing guy. Literally, people by the hundreds, if not thousands, were coming out to hear him speak. The, the poor folks of the land, the, the median income people, those who are in the higher escalons of society, the movers and the shakers, the rich people, the religious crowd, they were all coming out to listen to John the Baptist speak. And John could have easily gotten a little bit full of himself and thought, man, look at all this crowd. 
I know that I've said that Jesus must increase and I must decrease. In other words, I must make more of Jesus and I must humble myself to be less and less so that Jesus takes the prominent stage. And I know that I'm called, I've been sent by God to, to, to put the focus on Jesus. But look at what's going on here. I mean, I've kind of got everything I could want in life, right? I've got all of these people. I've got the power, the prestige. I, if I need something financially, man, there's some rich people out here that would give it to me in a drop of a hat. They, they would just help me out. I kind of got what I need. So therefore, I'm going to change my approach a little bit. And I'm not going to talk quite as much about Jesus. And maybe I'm going to begin to just spread it a little thicker about what an incredible person I really am. But John had made a decision that he was going to follow Jesus. John had made a decision that he was the one who was to proclaim Jesus Christ and not himself. And therefore he said, I will do what I am sent to do. John understood that he wasn't the priest. That he wasn't God's gift to mankind. That he wasn't the one who provided salvation for whoever would come to him. John was merely a messenger who was to tell people about Jesus Christ. John was a messenger. But guess what? The same decision that John made is the decision that is required of us. Those of us who are children of God, those of us who have been born again, saved through the sacrifice Jesus Christ made on the cross of Calvary, have the same responsibility, the same decision lies before us. We are also to be a messenger for Jesus. And so we have to make a decision. Well, life's a little more comfortable when I don't do that. It's a little less intimidating if I don't do that. People don't look at me as funny if I don't do that. And therefore, I'm not going to do that. Decision's been made. Or, you know what? God's called me to be a messenger. God's called me to tell people about His Son. And yes, they may look at me funny. And yes, it may make me uncomfortable because I'm just not really good in those types of situations. But I've made my decision and I'm going to follow Jesus. It's one reason I talked about this two weeks ago. That we're going to start that class on learning to make uh, discipleship or learning to make uh, evangelism fun. And in fact, two weeks, one week from this Thursday, two weeks from last Thursday, on my wife's birthday, we're going to celebrate by starting that class. She is super excited about me not being home on her birthday. But we're going to start that class a week from Thursday at 6.30, 6.30 to 7.30. A week from Thursday, right next door in the fellowship hall, from 6.30 to 7.30. I wish you'd come and be part of that class. How do we make evangelism fun? It is possible. It's possible to make it enjoyable. And we're going to teach you how to do that. I wish you'd come and be part of that group. So John the Baptist understood he was merely a messenger, and therefore he was very content to point people, number two, your second fill-in, to the real thing. He wanted to point people to the real thing. Now, he could have easily become a counterfeit. He could have easily stolen the limelight. He could have easily said, look at me, because 
even the religious leaders came and said, well, tell us who you are. And he said, I'm not the Christ. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the one that you've been looking for. I am simply a messenger. But he's coming. He's coming. John instead chose to point people to the real thing. I've got to admit that I stole that line from Coca-Cola. Um, back in the, what was it, 70s maybe? maybe, maybe early 80s. Could have even been the late 60s, I don't know. It was somewhere between 1910 and 2012. Uh, somewhere in that small time frame. Coca-Cola was beginning to have... Uh, uh, some other competition. It wasn't really competition in Chattanooga. It wasn't competition in Tennessee. We're Coke people here. If you're not, well, I'm sorry. <laughs> but anyway, Coca-Cola was getting a little competition. People were buying for market share, and, and they were trying to, to root away some of Coca-Cola's customers. Coca-Cola called in a bunch of teenagers from all over the world. They brought them together, and they got them to sing their song. I call it their song. I think it was actually a, a secular song that they just turned into a Coke song. And It's the real thing Coke is. You remember it, surely, if you're old enough. Man, that was a great song. What Coca-Cola was saying, listen, there's a lot of counterfeits out there, but we're the real thing. You want the real Coke? You want the real cola? Here we are. And John was doing the same thing with Jesus Christ. There's a lot of counterfeits out there, but I'm going to point you to the real thing, the real deal. I'm not him. I'm just a witness for him. I'm not him. But I want to give you the information about him so that you will know him when you see him because ultimately you've got to make a decision about Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? Verse 6 through verse 10 says, There was a man sent from God whose name was John. This man came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light, which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world. The world was made through him. Listen to this. And the world did not know him. Crazy, right? I mean, John is sent into the world to bear witness, to point people to Jesus Christ, to, to help them recognize who He is, so that when He shows up, they will know Him. For people who were created by this same person. It really, it's, it's almost pathetic to think that the Creator was not recognized by those He created. It's almost pathetic to think that John would even need to be there to point a light on Jesus. It's pathetic to think that Jesus created their eyes. He created their minds so that they would know Him, so that they would glorify Him. And yet, what we find is that they did not know Him. Did not know Him. John was shining the light. He was reflecting the light of God. He was showing them Jesus Christ is coming. Here is the Savior of the world. This is the Messiah for which you've been looking. This is the one coming to take away the sin of the world. Here he is, the Lamb of God. And they didn't know him. Didn't know him. 
John said, you've got to make a decision. You've got to make a decision. Now, for some of the people, they would reject Jesus Christ. We'll read about that in just a second. For others, they would embrace Jesus Christ. And here's where we come to the third point. The third point shows us that the consequences differ. The consequences for our decisions differ. Now, that's true across the board, right? If I drive down the road in a very reasonable way, and uh, I obey the laws, I'm courteous to other drivers, and uh, I, I just, I'm just very cautious, the chances are really good that I'm going to get to my destination. So therefore, the consequence of my good driving is that I arrive safely. If, on the other hand, I decide, you know what, I'm going to take a shortcut and I'm on top of the mountain and I decide instead of going down the windy road, I'm just going to go over the side and get there quicker. Hey, there are also consequences to that decision. They differ drastically. If I go home today and, and I treat my wife with love and respect and I, I treat her the way she deserves to be treated, the way God intends me to treat her, she's going to respond in a very loving kind way. But if I go home and I act like an idiot and I, I treat her disrespectfully and I treat her as if, as if she doesn't matter, then there's going to be a different response. <laughs> oh. uh, we've been married for 31 years and in that time I've learned that that's not necessarily the response I'm looking for. And therefore I choose since consequences matter, since consequences differ, I choose to treat her the best I can. I don't always succeed in that, but that's my goal in life. I want to please her. I want to make her happy. John the Baptist was coming to these people and he's saying, okay, you've got a decision to make. We read about this in verses 10 through 13. John says, talking of Jesus, he was in the world... The world was made through him. The world did not know him. He came to his own. Here he is. He's coming to his own kind. Human beings. He's coming to those who are of the house of Israel. He comes to his own. And his own did not receive him. Okay, so there's a consequence to that action. There's a consequence for not receiving Jesus Christ. Verse 12. But as many as received him, the other side of this issue, as many as received him, as many as embraced him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. He gave them the right to become children of God. So we have the consequences here. For one group, they reject Jesus Christ. John lays it out. Here's the information you need to know about him. And yet this group rejected the Savior. Okay, so in the process of time, if they lived their entire lives with that same mindset and died with that same mindset, then they're going to be very much like the rich man spoken of in Luke chapter 16, which says he died and in hell he lifted up his eyes being in torment. He was suffering. He was paying the price of his sin and he's still there today. He's still paying that price today. So there is a 
very drastic consequence to rejecting Jesus Christ. But then on the other side, we have those who embraced Jesus Christ. Those who accepted him. As many as received him, what does it say it did? What is the consequence of that decision? He gave them the right to become a child of God. In other words, God graciously extended adoption to those who had received him. Oh, grace. Grace is receiving what we don't deserve. Now, two things you see listed there to fill in. I wish once you get done with this that you would just keep your notes out until we're completely done. But two things that are very important in this discussion, letter A, is that the consequences of their decisions were not based on how good or bad they were. It wasn't based on how good or bad the people were. It wasn't based even on how much they had given to the church, how much they had served, how many people they had helped. It had nothing to do with that. Those things did not come into play in the narrative at all. You don't find John saying, well, as long as you're a good person, your decision really doesn't matter. It's just, it's just all based on how good you are. So then what were the consequences based upon? Let her be. The consequences were based on what they did with Jesus. The consequences were based on what they did with Jesus. This decision they made about Jesus. Would they accept Him? Would they reject Him? Ultimately, it comes down to the fact that those who had received the Savior had received grace in an incredible package known as adoption. I've asked Mickey to share a story with us. I hope you'll listen very carefully. I want to share uh, this morning a little bit about our adoption journey to get Anna. And uh, hopefully this will further illustrate what Tommy's been sharing about adoption and grace. And I know that there's others here that have also gone through the adoption journey whether it be international or, or domestic. And you could also be up here sharing what I'm going to share today. But I learned so much about God's grace through adoption. Uh, our adoption journey actually started before Candace and I were married. Uh, I can remember uh, we were watching the 1994 Winter Olympics, which were in Norway, but for some reason... I don't know exactly why, but at the figure skating, whenever everybody would throw, the girls would skate and do, you know, alder, alder whatever they call it, flip. I said flips, they're not flips, but you know what, twists or whatever it is. Everybody would throw flowers out there, you know, how they do. And these little Chinese girls would go out there and skate and pick them up. And I remember just telling Candace, uh, I'd love to one day adopt one of them. I said, well, we'll get emotional up here, so I'm going to try not to. But I can remember just saying, I would love to one day adopt a little Chinese girl or Asian. I didn't know if they were Chinese or where they were from. But, and she said, you know, that would be, it would be incredible. But that was kind of the end of it at that time. That was in 1994. In 2006, uh, it was around Mother's Day. Uh, it was on a Sunday night. 
uh, a group from Bethany Children's Services came and showed a video. And the video was the Lost uh, Girls of China. I don't know if any of you have ever seen it or not, but Stephen Curtis Chapman actually did it. And the video was about the one-child policy in China and how um, so many people, because they can only have one child, they only want to have boys because it was more respectful to have boys in the culture. Also, boys could work and make more money. So if they had daughters, were going to have daughters, they did one of two things. Many of them aborted their kids or they immediately gave them up for adoption. And matter of fact, I looked in next decade, in the 2020s, there's going to be 30 million more male Chinese men than females at marrying age, at the age of marrying. So they're going to have a great tragedy because of that. So many of the girls were aborted and others were given up for adoption. When I saw that video, God moved in my heart that I knew that many years before I had talked about adoption. But God moved in my heart, now is the time to adopt. There's only one problem. Kenneth wasn't there with me. <laughs> Kenneth wasn't there at church and had not seen the video. We had three biological kids already. And I'm thinking, when I get home and tell her, hey, we need to go adopt a little girl from China, she's going to think I'm crazy. So I went immediately up to the, the lady and said, hey, I've got a big favor. My wife is not here, but I believe God's called us to adopt. Can I take that video home with me? And she said, sure, absolutely, you can take it home. So I took it home and told Candace, hey, I got a video you need to watch. It's about the, the, the plight of the girls in China. And I want you to watch it, and then we'll talk. And, uh, you know, a few days went by. She not watched it. You know, I'm sitting there waiting for her to watch it. And finally, later that week, she watched it. And I told her, I said, Candace, I think God's called us to adopt. And she agreed. I was amazed that she agreed, but she did too. She said, I think that God has also called us to adopt. So I want to say, first of all, the reason we adopt is because God laid it on our hearts. It wasn't anything about us. God laid it on our hearts. But it was motivating to think about going and rescuing a little girl that had really no hope and no family. And God just laid that so much on our hearts. So, I mean, just think about this for a second, though. That was 2006. Anna was born in 2005. This took a long time. It was three and a half years later before we finally got the visa and opportunity to go to China to get Anna. And Anna would soon receive all the benefits of being in our family. She did nothing. See, an orphan child can do nothing to become part of a family. No desire of her part would connect her, her with us becoming her parents. Her adoption into our family was a result of someone outside of Anna choosing to love her, to receive her, and to give her the right to be part of our family. Someone had to do for her what she could not do for herself. That is grace. In the same way, God chose to love you and to love me when we were helpless and hopeless. We didn't seek out God to become part of His family. No, God first loved us and He sought out us. God, through His grace, receives us and gives us a right to be His children 
and to be in his family. Just like an earthly adoption, to be spiritually adopted, it's all because of grace.